Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, Every Nation New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Burt. And I'm so excited that you would spend your Sunday morning here with us at Every Nation, New Jersey. And listen, uh, we're just coming off uh, a week of prayer and fasting. And and I don't know about you, but sometimes I just think fasting is a bad idea from the Lord. (laughs) Right? It's just, it could be a struggle at times. And I I just can't even begin to tell you this last week as we we were going through a church fast, um, I, I just feel like like every TV commercial uh, was about food. Like, uh, I mean, it, some of these commercials I'm watching, goodness sakes, it's like food porn. It's like, you know, the, the people are eating a piece, piece of pizza and it's like, mmm, oh, you know, it's like, it's almost obscene, you know, and I just notice all of this stuff. And, and I don't know about you, even radio ads, like, like I'm driving in my car, I hear this radio ad, it's like everything's about food, right? I hear this one about uh, Ruth Chris Steakhouse and and they even make the butter noise as the sizzling steak is, is, is soaking in the butter. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, get off of me. So give me a break, man. All right. But we made it. We made it. And so uh, I thought it would be appropriate since we're coming off this uh, week-long fast that uh, the title of our talk today is going to be this, uh, Thoughts from a Hungry Pastor. Thoughts from a Hungry Pastor. If you, if you want a subtitle, if that's not spiritual enough, we, we could also call it Seeds and Sons. And so I hope that makes sense as, as we get going. But do you know, like, um, like prayer and fasting, like it's, it's actually a deliberate time that, that we set aside when we dial down the noise of the world all around us, and then we dial up our spiritual ears to hear what the Lord might be speaking. And it's fascinating. You know, for me, you know, it doesn't always work this way, but the moment we jumped into this fast, I felt an, some, an impression from the Lord immediately. And I, it's funny, I couldn't get away from it. And, and it was this picture, this impression, if you will, of, of, of these old ancient seeds. And, and, and there was the impression that they were, they were dead or discarded. And yet, um, as, I, as I saw them, like in my soul and in my spirit, I don't mean to be spooky spiritual, but, but suddenly these seeds, these ancient seeds that, that were left for dead, they began to sprout and they began to grow until they, they brought forth fruit. And so um, uh, that's what I want to talk to you about today uh, is ancient seeds and lost sons. And um, so, uh, uh, listen, how many are, are familiar um, with uh, Masada. And if you're not, that's fine. I hadn't heard of it until I went to Israel. And so the term uh, Masada, it simply means fortress. And when you see Masada, you'll understand why. Um, it was this massive fortress that was built on a top uh, of a mountain. The mountain was flattened out. This mountain, uh, it ascends some 1,400 feet high. Just to give you context, that's the size of the Empire State Building. And somehow, Herod the Great built this amazing fortress on top of uh, Masada, the fortress, right? And, and here's what blows my mind is, is like, how did he do it? Like, if you could see, like, to ascend this thing is next to impossible. And yet he built this elaborate vacation spa 
kind of place, this fortress where you could hold up uh, with for years. And like, they didn't have power tools. They didn't have electricity. Like, how did they do it, man? Like, like uh, it seems to me we can't get Route 10 uh, out in front of our church paved and we have electricity, gasoline, all these different things. Come on, right? And But but they, they did this. And so uh, I remember when I visited Masada, we, we ascended to the top and, and the views from Masada are breathtaking. Like as, as you look out, you can see the Dead Sea to your right and you can literally see for hundreds and hundreds of miles. It would have made it a strategic place that you could see enemies uh, as they would uh, approach you and you could prepare for battle uh, or for war. And so uh, Herod, he would also, he would use Masada as a vacation home uh, during the the wicked uh, heat of the summer. He he would retreat back to this, uh, this villa at Masada and it was amazing when we were there, I mean, this desert wasteland, yet when you hit that elevation, there's these beautiful nonstop breezes that flowed through uh, Masada. It was, it was Herod's summer home. Well, um, so, so here's what you need to know, a little history. Around 73 AD, uh, the Romans and the Jews uh, were, were at uh, battle, and uh, a group of Jewish zealots uh, they fleed uh, uh, out to the Judean uh, desert land, and they, they went up to Masada to hold up a stronghold, if you will. But Rome didn't forget about them. Rome pursued uh, these uh, rebellious Jews uh, out into the Judean uh, wasteland. And, and there, they, when they saw this impenetrable fortress, they, they weren't sure what they're going to do. And then they had an idea. And, and get this, they built this enormous earth ramp. Um, this ramp would, would, would go some 20 uh, stories high, okay? And, and so they would use it. Now their troops could ascend up Masada. Their battering rams could ascend up to Masada. And now it seems that these Jewish zealots were done in. Uh, and so rather than being captured by the Romans, these, these some thousand Jews up in uh, Masada, they decided that they would uh, have a mass uh, execution Rather than being taken prisoners, they would kill themselves. But to the Jew, man, suicide was the unforgivable sin. And so they devised a plan. And, and this is a, a little bit morbid, but, but the husbands and fathers would kill their, their wife and their children. They would execute them. And, and then when all the women and children were executed, then it was the time for the fathers to die. And they appointed 10 men to execute all the dads and the fathers. And then when there's just 10 men remaining, they drew straws to one man who would kill the remaining nine people. It's a tragic story. Uh, It's the story of Masada. But um, get this, uh, the story, uh, it does get better in this. Did you know that years later uh, in the 1960s, that archaeologists would be studying Masada and they stumbled upon a jar, an ancient jar, And inside this jar were seeds, ancient seeds. In fact, they would would research and they would find out these seeds were over 2,000 years old. And they found out that they were Judean date palm tree seeds. See, the Judean uh, uh, date palm tree, it was believed to be extinct for thousands of years. And now they they found uh, these seeds. And get this. these 2,000-year-old seeds, they, they began to germinate and to grow. 
and they su- successfully resurrected uh, the Judean date palm tree, right? So this tree that they thought was long dead, it blossomed some 2,000 years later. And, and I say that, I, wanna, I, I think we have an image of uh, the Judean uh, date blossom tree. And, and, and I, now, now that you've, you've seen this story of this ancient seed blossoming into this beautiful, fruitful tree, uh, I want to speak prophetically um, over us today. Do you know, um, uh, I believe that 2023 is going to be a year where, where ancient seeds of prayer, seeds that were believed to be forgotten, dead, um, uh, unanswered, given up on, that these prayers are going to resurrect. God's going to answer them. They're going to grow and sprout and bring fruit uh, into your life. I believe God's going to resurrect uh, dead prayers. You know, um, many of you have heard of Death Valley. Um, it's it's uh, on the eastern border of California. Uh, it's believed to be one of the hottest places on planet Earth. Uh, in, in fact, it gets next to no water. Uh, in fact, and then it gets its name Death Valley because it, it's so parched that nothing can live there. And I believe we have an image taken from from Death Valley. But um, while we thought that that nothing could live there. Uh, that changed back in 2004. See, back in 2004, Death Valley received an unprecedented amount of rain, uh, about seven inches of rain. And after this rain hit this dry, parched land, uh, it became an oasis. I believe we have an image now. After this rainfall, see, see, Death Valley wasn't dead. It was simply dormant. And I want to tell you something. I believe this is from the Lord. Man, that, that some of your prayers that you've forgotten and thought were dead, they're not dead. They were just dormant, waiting on God's timing. Um, there was a, a great king you read about in your Old Testament, King Solomon. He was a brilliant thinker, philosopher, and poet. And in, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes this, uh, and it'll sound familiar to many of you. Uh, I believe a group uh, called the Birds, uh, they, uh, they actually ripped it off from Solomon and made a hit single out of it. But in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 2, it reads like this. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Right, And he goes on with all these different things. And I just wanted to stop there to say this. Uh, I believe that for those of you that have been spending years planting in prayer, that this is a season of harvest where God says, we're, we're going to pluck up. You've been sowing in prayer and God wants you to reap uh, a harvest. And so um, um, please make no, don't mistake God's silence at times for God's no. It simply was his not yet. And there is a season for everything. And this is your season to harvest. Like, like take the patriarch Abraham. God comes to him with this great promise. Abraham, at 75 years old, you're going to have a son of promise. But he would have to wait, what, some 25 years to receive his Isaac. Isaac, it means laughter. That, that when it seemed like God's promise and his prayers would never be answered, that God gave him his son of promise. 
and there was laughter. And I pray that over you in 2023. That David, that young David, the shepherd boy, was anointed king, um, but yet he would have to wait some 15 years until he would eventually take the throne. And you need to feel that 15 years of waiting. I wonder how many times he thought the promise is not real. It was a mistake. It's never going to happen until it happened. And I, I want to I pray that and believe that over you in 2023. So um, I, I believe this as well. There's many of you that you've been praying and believing for lost loved ones, uh, co-workers, lost children. And I want you to know that God has heard your prayers. Man, uh, like, like you've had these thoughts at times. Oh, it, man, it just, it, my prayers didn't take. It, it didn't work. And, and I want to remind you uh, the words of the Apostle Paul as found in 1 Corinthians. And, and for the record, um, this is me uh, in a very sneaky way getting us back into the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to pick up our series we've just called The Beautiful Mess. Uh, I'm going to quote for you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul reminds us of something. He says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the growth. It's God that gives the growth. And so uh, your seeds and your watering of seeds as you pray for lost loved ones, man, but you're doing your job. And I promise you, God's going to do his part and he's going to save. And um, maybe that maybe the words of, of Monica will help you. And Monica's story is so powerful and moving. See, Monica was a, a mother who loved Jesus. And almost as much as she loved Jesus, she loved her son, Aurelius. And so uh, Monica would continually pray for her son Aurelius to come to saving faith in Christ, and he wanted none of it. And this young man, it seemed like the more she prayed, the wilder Aurelius got. And he, he lived in, in sin, in debauchery, and until finally she, she just pleads out to the Lord on her face for the salvation of her son. And what does her son do? Her son turns, he runs to Rome uh, to participate in orgies and riotous living, but something happens. When he arrives in Rome, uh, as he's on his way to one of his parties, Aurelius, he hears a, a children's rhyme. And it went something like this, take up and read, take up and read. And as he heard that, for whatever reason, it stuck in his mind, take up and read, take up and read. And he was compelled. He thought it meant to take up and read the Bible. And so he, he picked up the Holy Scriptures and he did like what many of you do, Bible roulette, where you just go through the Bible. As he opened up his Bible, it landed on Romans 13, verses 13 to 14. And it reads uh, like this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. With the weight of that word jumping off the page to Aurelius, he fell to his knees and he accepted Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. And you, would, you and I know Aurelius today as St. Augustine, one of the greatest minds our, our, um, our uh, church has ever, ever known. Um, can I remind you of another one? The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, the, the, uh, the artist formerly known as Saul, right? And uh, if you remember that Saul of Tarsus 
was a wicked, wicked man. He was pursuing and persecuting Christians, uh, beating them and imprisoning them until Acts chapter 9. And the Lord appears to Saul on the road to Damascus, knocks him all off his horse, and Saul hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and from that, uh, he would become a Christian and a great missionary. Uh, but there's, there's a left out detail in Acts chapter 9, and Paul reminds us of it in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. Uh, it reads like this, Acts 26, 14. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But then he adds a bit. It says this, Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Um, for those of you that don't know like what a goad is, a goad was a was a, a piece of timber or thick wood with a sharp point on the end of it. And, and farmers would use it for plowing ox. And, and if the ox became obstinate and stubborn, the goad would poke him in his rear end until he got moving again. And so do you see now? He says, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. See, Paul had seen a Christian suffer in a different way. That though he persecuted and spewed violence on them, they responded in kindness and love and forgiveness. And with that, it would, the Holy Spirit used it like a goad to beat against the heart of Saul until it was transformative and he became uh, the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary our faith's ever known. Um, there's a, actually my, my old junior coach, he was a man by the name of Burt Templeton. And if I could just share this story, like um, th this man, I, I moved away to play a hockey for this man. I was at, through the ages of 16 to 18, and uh, this man terrified me. Uh, he was scary, uh, intimidating, and unbelievably demanding, right? And so um, I can remember uh, m the first time my mother came to one of my hockey games, and she inadvertently uh, sat behind our team's bench, and so after the game, when I see my mother, she doesn't ask me or, or say good game or say, how did you feel? Uh, the first thing she says, um, your coach, that man behind the bench, I have never heard a more foul mouth in my life. And I'm like, oh yeah, mom, he's like the Shakespeare of curse words, right? He can just string them together beautifully. <laughs> and, and so, so uh, I tell you that to, to let you know, imagine my shock when after one practice, my coach, Bert Templeton, he pulls me aside and he looks me in my face and in a very serious way, he says, Adam, why do you cuss so much? And I was like, I mean, that was like Satan uh, telling Peter, hey, you need to clean up your mouth. But the reality was he was right. Um, I, I had a terrible mouth and, and I was supposed to be the Christian guy on the team. But, uh, but get this, um, I, I would find out years later the reason why we had that conversation. See, Bert Templeton, he was searching, and he wondered uh, me, he was watching me, an overt Christian, did I, did I truly have the answers that Jesus offered, right? And so, man, I was, I was just living my young faith as imperfectly and awkwardly as possible, but yet, God would use that simple seed uh, in Bert Templeton's life, because get this, Years later, uh, in the mid-90s, he would pass away, and I, I saw his obituary. And his obituary read like this, that Bert Templeton uh, was a you know, world-class coach, and he was always seen carrying his black Bible uh, for every road trip. And I was like, what? Bert Templeton? See, because he had become 
a Christ follower. And so you never know these little seeds, however imperfect or insignificant they may seem, man, God can take them and like a goad, use them to absolutely uh, save people. And and listen, God is going to do it. God is going to do it. You know, the great uh, evangelist, Billy Graham, that that he reached some 3.2 million people uh, with the gospel of Christ and they made professions of faith. 3.2 million people. But, but Billy Graham would say this, and, and I believe I'm, I'm quoting him correctly, is he, he, he would say, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but it takes uh, roughly 100 touches with people, uh, with the gospel, until they're ready to receive Jesus. And, and, he, and he comes to this conclusion. He says, like, 99 people um, uh, think they've done nothing, and one person thinks they've done everything. Does he get that? It's like 99 people are just uh, little seeds uh, of encouragement, little seeds of faith. And then one guy gets to close the deal and they convert to Christ. And so I want to encourage you, man, keep scattering seeds and God is going to save. Ancient seeds are going to sprout and grow fruit in 2023. Uh, Can I give you my second uh, thoughts of a hungry pastor? (laughs) Let me give you this. So this is going to seem real random, but uh, uh, during our fast, I was I was uh, I was in my gym working out, and, in the, and if a gym sounds real fancy, uh, can I just tell you I'm I'm in the it's in my nasty basement with like seven foot ceilings. I, I got a couple dumbbells uh, and a treadmill, right? So that's my gym. But um, whenever I'm working out, I love to get my earbuds in and I listen to podcasts and sermons, and I listen to this one sermon, and it absolutely wrecked me. I'm down, I'm trying to work out, and as I'm, I'm on the military press, pressing, um, I'm violently sobbing. Like, like if someone came downstairs and saw me in that moment, they would say, this person has issues, or is mentally unstable, or something, right? But, but this, this story and this, this sermon wrecked me, and um, I, I just wonder if, if it isn't for some of us today. And I heard the story of Jason uh, Wilson. Jason Wilson, uh, he, he's an, a martial arts instructor, and he, he works in inner city Detroit. Uh, I'm from Detroit, so, so I, I, maybe it was a little more personal to me. Man, but the inner city Detroit is rough, and it's just ravaged uh, by poverty, man, uh, corruption, crime. And, and so he, Jason Wilson, he, he has his studio there where, where he tries to get uh, young inner city kids, and he uses martial arts as a vehicle to help them process uh, their their feelings and their emotions. And so maybe the, the shame or the rage or, or the unforgiveness they feel in their heart that through martial arts, Jason Wilson, he helps them unpack them and let them know, hey, it's okay to process your emo- emotions with one another. And he not only stops there, but he also, his, his goal is, is to reconcile families and to bring them back together again. Uh, because the inner city families have been ravaged uh, and really destroyed. In fact, uh, in, in our entire nation, do you know, I've shared this uh, uh, before, but John Hopkins University did a 30-year study, and they were trying to boil down uh, what's, what's the leading factors for incarceration and, and depression and illiteracy and uh, uh, broken marriages and all these different things. And after 30 years of study, they were able to narrow it down to one thing, and that one thing was fatherlessness. So Jason Wilson, wanting to reconcile families, 
he'll he'll call in dads of these young little martial arts students, and he'll he'll invite them in, and then he'll he'll he he does something like this. The scene I I saw was. He, re- he lined up the fathers uh, on the mats, and he had the fathers get down and push up position. And then he had their young sons get on their back, put their arms around their neck as they're on their back in push-up position. And, and then he would have them do push-ups. And as the fathers are doing push-ups with the weight of their children, he would say these words to the dads. Dads, being a dad is hard, isn't it? Push-up. You can feel the weight and the burden of having to provide for your home, push-up, struggle, push-up. And as he does again, there's at times you want to quit and you want to run. But, Dad, you don't do that. You You just keep going, Dad. You keep pushing and pushing until these dads push past the point of fatigue until finally they quit. And then, and then uh, Jason, he moves them to the next exercise. And, and Jason Wilson will, will take the, the, the young sons and he'll put him uh, behind himself. And then Jason Wilson, uh, the martial artist, will stand between his son um, and himself. And so the father's out here, Jason Wilson, and then the son's behind him. And then uh, he'll, he'll tell them this. He'll say, um, he'll tell the father. He says, um, he says, I represent Satan. He wants to keep you from your son and everything you hold dear to yourself. How will you get through? And then he turns to the son and he, he'll tell his son, son, uh, I want to t- just go ahead and verbalize and tell your dad uh, the feelings you have. And, and the son, he, he just says this. He says, daddy, he says, daddy, when, when I go outside and, and play and I'm, I'm all by myself playing basketball, he says, I, I, I pretend that you're here. You're right here still with me by my side. And I feel safe again. And now, now suddenly the dad, he, hearing this, he's inspired to fight through the martial artist, Jason Wilson. And, and as he does, he, he pushes in Wilson very easily. Boom! Knocks his dad to the floor. The, the dad slowly gets back up again and he tries to, to get to his son. And, and boom! He gets knocked down again and again and again until finally the dad gets exhausted and he quits. And then the, uh, Jason, he stops the exercise and now he takes it up next level. He calls uh, the man's wife, and then this adorable little daughter comes in and stands behind Jason Wilson. Now you have the son, the young daughter, and his wife, and he looks at that dad, and he tells him again, he says, I'm Satan, and I'm here to stand between everything you hold dear to yourself. Everything you said to me means the world to you. What are you going to do? And this dad all of a sudden just loses his mind, pops up, screams. He starts screaming. Once again, he gets knocked to the floor, but this time he pops back up with urgency. He gets knocked to the ground again. He pops up even quicker. Now suddenly he he dodges a punch, rolls over, and he runs over to his family and scoops them up, sobbing together as they hold one another. And, and man, when I saw that, I just I just couldn't stop crying because... I, see, I think there's something deep, deep inside of all of us that we long for our Father to recklessly pursue us, to chase after us at all costs. And you know, do you know that God reveals himself as a Father? That, that Jesus, when he's teaching, um, he tells us to pray this way. We pray, our Father, 
because God reveals himself as a father. And that has little to nothing to do with being, being male uh, or, or female moms. You know, it's, it's God's not male or female. He's spirit. But it's there to convey a message to you and to me. See that fathers are to be loving and strong. And we need to feel that, that, that God reveals himself as one who's loving and he's strong. And his reckless love is, is going to pursue you and I at all costs. And if you don't believe me, let's take a look at Luke chapter 15. I want to read to you Luke chapter 15, and, and we'll be brief, but as, as, we, as we read through Luke 15, I, I want to unpack for you the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the term prodigal, it, it simply means reckless. We normally associate the recklessness with the son who's squandering all this money, but I would submit to you this morning that the father, he's even more reckless. He has his reckless love pursuing his son. Let me read to you this, this story, this parable from Jesus, starting in Luke 15, verse 11, says this, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and he divided his property uh, between them. So I just need to pause here for a minute to let you know this, that that this what this son asked for was was absolutely unheard of in the first century. It was a high honor culture. You would never ask that of your father. Uh, and in fact, uh, it's, it's better said like this, um, that the son is actually in essence saying this, dad, I wish you were dead and give me your stuff, right? And so there would have been a gasp as Jesus told this story. Let's move on in verse 13. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And I'll just pause here again and comment that, you know, sin is really fun until it isn't. And here's what I know about sin. It just, it always promises freedom and it always leads to slavery. Verse 15, it says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And so uh, I'm not sure if you've ever hit rock bottom. Like, we're, 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 because of your decisions and your sinful actions, your life has just spiraled downward and downward until you hit rock bottom. And that's where this prodigal son is. And he has this, this epiphany. He's like, how did I get here? How do I get here? And then we, we see what happens. Man, he's going to repent. It simply means to return home, right? Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Uh, Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But get this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And so um, here's what I, I need to, a little bit of Jewish history here is that, do you know in the, in the Jewish culture, culture that if you as a Jew lost and squandered your possessions and your inheritance to Gentiles, 
you are immediately ostracized. You are cut off from the village and cut off from your family. Um, it, it was the first century's um, uh, kind of version of cancel culture. There's, there's, there's no way back. There's no repentance and there's no forgiveness. There's just, uh, you're just ostracized, cast off with no hope. Um, they actually had a ceremony for this. It was called the Kazaza ceremony. And when the villagers saw this, this Jew that had squandered his money to the Gentiles, the, the villagers would, would run over to this, this prodigal son. They would take a, an earthen vessel, a jar, and they would smash it at his feet and say, just like that, man, just like you have uh, recklessly abandoned your inheritance to the Gentiles, you are cast off and cut off. But here is the great news. Before that could happen, the father's going to do something. Look at this in verse 21. It says this, And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Did you see what the father did? Like, like before the son could finish or before the Kazaza ceremony could take place, this father ran toward his son. In the first century, the fathers would never run. Older men, that, that would have been um, uh, dishonorable to do such a thing. But not this father. He doesn't care. He has reckless love to go rescue his prodigal son and he runs to him. And what does he say? Does he say, hey son, like you clean yourself up, uh, get dressed and then you'll be accepted. He doesn't do that, does he? Man, he kisses his face, puts a ring and a robe on him, man. And what does he do? He says, son, I, I'm going to accept you and I'm going to love you. And then as you're with me, as you f- sit under that acceptance, then you're going to get cleaned up. And that's your story. And that's my story. We don't clean ourselves up and we come to God, but rather we, we sit under the acceptance and the love of our heavenly father that recklessly loves us. And as we sit under that, we begin to be transformed and changed from the inside out. And I love what it says. It ends with what? A celebration, a party, because my son was lost and now he's found. It's nothing but the reckless love of God. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this time. And oh Lord, I just uh, just, want to just reiterate Uh, Lord, all you've spoken in this season of prayer and fasting, and I I just want to remind men and women that have forgotten and abandoned these ancient prayers, these ancient seeds that they sowed years and years ago. Father, I pray that you'd restore and renew hope. I pray, Holy Spirit, that even now, Lord, you're resurrecting old dreams, old prayers, God, and and reassuring and reinstilling new hope that they're surely going to come to pass. And Father, I, I just uh, I pray as well, God, for those, Lord, that are wayward, Lord, they feel distant from you. Oh, God, may they learn and understand the reckless love who the Father, that the Father is going to fight through, that he'll, he'll humble himself uh, and humiliate himself just like Jesus did at the cross in order to get to his Son. And I, I pray you hear the words of a loving Father, that, that you, would, you would come home again. And there's this epic celebration waiting for you. Lord, I pray that you would do it all in Jesus' name. Amen.
<laughs> Amen. In every nation. Well, listen, um, the, the sermon's over, but we're not quite finished. Um, I want to encourage you that you can be faithful in your tithing and your offering. And um, a tithe simply means the tenth. And just like we honor God uh, with the first week of our year in prayer and fasting, um, we honor God with the first of our finances and we give them back to God as a form of worship and honor. But here's the great news. God says as we honor him, he's going to honor us right back. And so there's three ways you can give digitally. You can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Or you can give via text if you simply text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977. It's a very convenient and easy way to give. Uh, Or, as always, you can mail your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you uh, as you are faithful to give. Every nation, Jesus loves you, and I think you're amazing too. We're going to have an amazing 2023 by God's grace in Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website emcnj.org.